0: Welcome back to the RV32 series where we break down one team each episode. We get a beat reporter on, and we get the ground level knowledge that we can gain from a beat reporter. This week, Matt Daney of SB Nation, the Blue Stampede, came on to the show this week to break down the Colts. So, he dropped some awesome knowledge, but before we get into that, I do have to tell you we have some important news at RotoViz. Now we have a Patreon. If you'd like to support our 10 plus shows a week and get access to exclusive content and the RotoViz live radio show Sundays just before kickoff, Support on Patreon. We have Patreon goals, giving away subscriptions. Not only are you supporting RotoViz Radio, but you get access to the exclusive content. You become part of uh, the community we have here at RotoViz. Really intelligent people, great analysts. Support the show, join the community, patreon.com forward slash RotoViz Radio. And as always, if you're looking to get your RotoViz.com subscription, do it through RotoViz.com forward slash podcast for a 30% discount. There are over a dozen apps you can use, thousands of articles per year. With the season just in sight, make sure you get that subscription today. Now, here's Matt Danley's interview. Alright, I am here with Matt Dainley. Find him on Twitter at mdainleysb. Matt, how's it going? Doing great. How you doing, man? Not bad, not bad. I think we're about to close out this uh, RV32 series, and we're definitely doing with a good one. Let's get right into it. Uh, it looks... All but certain, we're getting a healthy Andrew Luck, or at least close to it, ready to return to football. Uh, are there any plans to limit his usage heading into week one?
1: I don't think that there's any plans to limit his usage. I th- I mean, if you want to say that, will they have a pitch count on him? I don't think that they will. Now, in terms of how everything else goes, I think they're going to just continue to do what they've shown uh, throughout the preseason but I think there's going to be a lot more involved in it obviously they they don't want Andrew doing you know a, a ton of they don't want to uh, devise a bunch of downfield long reads uh, initially just to start the game so first and foremost Cincinnati's got a nice pass rush so you don't want to get Andrew killed in the first quarter you know but they're going to continue to get these uh, quick balls uh, quick passes out of the of his hands they just really don't want they want to get him in a rhythm, and then they want to be able to kind of use him in in a way that they've used him in the past that Andrew Luck has always been good at, and that is, you know, reading defenses, getting the ball downfield, and, and finding some openings with his ability to uh, kind of extend plays. But they don't want to do it so much to where he's running for his life to start the game. So I would expect, you know, similar to what we've seen in the preseason, but Andrew can definitely uncork it. There's no doubt about it. There's a lot of national – uh, wor, wor, well worry. I suppose is probably the best word that that we're hearing a lot from hosts and, and from other uh, big platforms that they're they're scared that Andrew can't throw further than ten yards. You know that that's not the case at all. Anybody who's seen him in camp knows he's throwing forty-yard bombs. You know across his body, running to his left, uh, knows that he was throwing sixty-yard touchdown passes to KJ Brent before Brent got hurt so there's no there's no worry about Andrew's viability and durability right now he they just simply want to get him in uh, a rhythm and then get him to where he can start striking on people because that's you know he's been out of the game a year He, he is going to naturally be rusty and there will be a couple bad games in the first half of the season but all in all Andrew Luck is Andrew Luck right now I think they're happy with what he brings. That's music to
0: my ears. Please, can we just finally get Andrew Luck back? Last year was the down year for scoring, and it definitely was in part due to just losing talented quarterbacks like Andrew Luck, like Aaron Rodgers. But moving on to something that I think you have to be more concerned about for the Colts is their running back situation. Top four running backs heading into week one, all averaged under four yards per carry through the first three weeks of preseason. I know it's only preseason. I get it. It's not necessarily predictive of the regular season. But are you concerned at all with this running back situation, and what do you think their plans are to do here?
1: Well, yeah, and it is. It's To me, it's a legitimate concern because you've got rookies involved. You've got two rookies, Jordan Wilkins and Naheem Hines, but you've also got Robert Turbin who's going to be out for four weeks. Christine Michael isn't anything that anybody's going to go, hey, we got him in our backfield. That's not happening. You know, he does bring a little bit of explosion, but he also brings a ton of worry when you talk about ball control and his ability to really uh, have the vision, especially at the second level, to do anything with that speed. So, I mean, they have Brandon Oliver in there. They've got a lot of guys that they're going to mix and match, I think, and and that they're going to try to get them some legitimate looks, you know, which is tonight the preseason game against Cincinnati. They need this because Wilkins has to prove that he can do it consistently. We saw him look pretty solid against the twos in the the first couple preseason games and even in preseason week three. Uh, a little bit, but even against that first team when he was in there taking first team snaps, we didn't see his kind of uh, his aggression and his ability to really take advantage of some openings in, some, in space. That to me is a concern a little bit. Naheem Hines is a real concern. He has gotten something in his head through his fumbles from special teams with punt return to where now he doesn't even really want to try and get those extra yards. He really – I mean, it's scary for me because you feel like this guy just wants someone to touch him so he can go down and make sure he doesn't fumble. That's a mental issue. You can't have a guy like that having mental issues in the regular season. Naheem Hines is a physical guy for his size, and that's great and all. But what he's doing is he's turning down big yardage holes to kind of just go through. He doesn't want to improv at all, and that's not exactly what this Colts offense calls for. We need a guy who can have that vision to break out and get some runs with Marlon Mack on the shelf probably for the first week. I I would expect him to come back in week two or three and that's kind of what they've said, and I think that that's what the doctors are kind of listing him as. But Mac Mac should thrive in this offense. It's everybody that's behind him that at least should create some pause for Colts fans, I think, because we see what Jordan Wilkins has. He's got the speed. He's, he's a big boy. He likes to go up the middle. He's not as much of a finesse back as he was kind of being uh, spoken about coming out of college. And he and he has enough speed to where he can create some yardage after he gets to that second and third level. The problem is, is where's the consistency? Are these guys completely ready? And more importantly, do they have the vision to do it? We know that the patience is there from Wilkins, and he's got good vision. But is he going to be able to use it when it comes down to game time? So there are some legitimate questions. Um, I, I think that you're going to see, in terms of what how they're used, I think you're going to see a lot of these guys – Uh, really active out of the backfield as far as uh, catching passes. I think that they're going to be not only a dump-off option, but I think we're going to see a lot of screen passes with these guys too. Get these guys in space who have proven to have the speed and the the vision – to do that get them away from a clogged you know box we don't want them running into seven defenders every single snap get them out in space allow them to create a little bit and I think that you're going to see a lot of that once Mac comes back and especially when Turbin comes back in week four you might see a little bit more of a well-rounded attack from that running back group in terms of running the ball
0: good stuff I think another position that might have us chasing our tail here a bit is the wide receiver position obviously T.Y. Hilton is the top dog here and both as a fan of fantasy football and just as a fan of good football in general cannot be more excited to see TY Hill and Andrew Luck connect again but behind them Chester Rogers is he the locked in second receiver i know he's been leading
1: them in the preseason and do you see anything coming out of the rookies Chester Rogers i think i've always had faith in Chester Rogers now his issue is can he stay healthy you know he he showed a little bit last year even the year before but he hasn't been able to put a full season together You know, and that's something that he's going to have to prove as a number two. You can't just be a number two and be okay. You've got to be able to do what he did in the last, you know, preseason game is show that you can get some yards after the catch, show that you're durable enough to come across the middle, that you can run the full route tree against any defense, not just somebody who's sitting in in zone coverage, you know, all the time. So this is something he's going to have to do. He's going to have to fight off that man-to-man. He's going to have to get off the line of scrimmage, you know, in press. He's going to have to be able to take that punch from that corner or whoever he's matched up against. Uh, I mean, look, Ryan Grant has not shown me uh, anything. I think that Ryan Grant is a real question mark going into the season. I think that he will come around, but he and Luck have no chemistry right now, and that to me is more concerning than his ability to run routes. I could care less how good he runs a route if he doesn't have the chemistry with Andrew Luck. You do see the chemistry from Hilton and Rodgers with Luck. Uh, some of these, even the rookie guys, you see Zach Pascal. Um, I, I think that Cason Williams is a guy who who presents himself as a possible make on this 53-man roster as one of the possession-type receivers that the Colts are kind of lacking right now. They don't have that big body who's filled out. A little bit, a lot of these guys on the back end of the wide receiver position are about six foot to six two and 200 to 220. I mean, so they've got some good length and receivers and they've got the speed that you want. What you have to have is a guy who can be uh, that power guy. You can't just rely on the tight ends for that because that's, I mean, that limits your offense dramatically. So they need a guy like that who can come across, take a hit, get up and run it again. Doris Fountain isn't that guy. Zach Pascal, I don't think is that guy, but those guys present something on their own. Dory's fountain has really not had much of a preseason or a camp at all in in terms of what I've seen. You know, he's been he was injured through some of it. He's had a couple nice catches. He had a nice couple uh, a catch Saturday, you know. But he's got to put more than that together. And he's really on the roster bubble, Kyle. He he has to prove that he can make the roster first of all. And tonight against Cincinnati, he's going to have to be a guy who gets a lot of looks. I was just talking about this before we got on, actually. I mean, they've got Kreshawn Hogan, a guy who can be that physical guy, Steve Ishmael, a rookie who's impressed a little bit, Sean Tavis Jones. Uh, they, they really missed out when K.J. Brent got injured. K.J. Brent was a guy who people thought, you know, well, he made the uh, active roster late in last season after Kreshawn Hogan went down with his injury, and he looked okay. He looked phenomenal in camp, Kyle. He was a guy who was a locked-in three or four receiver on this roster, without question, and a guy who could ascend because he had the speed and that ability to go deep. But he was also a good, ball, a good receiver, a good hands catcher in between the hash marks, and that's something that was nice to see him being that well-rounded. But this man, th- this depth at wide receiver, has me a little worried. It's a it's a position that I would expect some waiver claims on. But at least for the initial 53, uh, you know, Fountain, Pascal, Williams, and Ishmael, and maybe Hogan really have their work cut out for them to prove it because they've got a long way to go before they can be relied upon, even as a number four in my opinion.
0: All right, so with that being said, you know, the receiver position, I, I didn't want to say it looked rough, but like you said, behind T.Y. Hilton, it's, it's a lot of question marks more than anything. I'm Is the plan sure. just to feed T.Y. Hilton?
1: It can't be. It can't be because this – that you know that we'll get to this in a minute. I, I see, but we, we Frank Reich is a guy who can draw up the right uh, you know the right plays. He he's a guy who is unique and he is creative. These guys are going to have to prove that they can run. Like I said, the whole route tree. They've got to be able to do it all. And he's not going to stall the offense just to be able to make these guys feel comfortable. These guys have to acclimate themselves to the offense, not the other way around. T.Y. Hilton cannot be relied upon to be a deep take the, the cover off the defense every single pass play. That's just not going to happen. Not just because they don't have enough of the physicality from these guys underneath, but because you I mean you become so predictable in an offense like that. T.Y. Hilton will get his shots downfield. But the best part about T. Y. Hilton, and he doesn't get enough credit for this, is his ability. To run, you know, several routes. To he's not scared to come across the middle. He's best when sitting down in a zone across the middle. But that's something that he and Luck have worked on so well together that they can both see that the the defense is in some sort of a zone. And T Y is an absolute magician when it comes to getting himself sat into those zones. So that is going to be something that he's going to have to continue to do this year because he's really going to have to. He's going to have to take the brunt in order for some of these guys to ascend. And that is, you know, maybe uh, something that we should be worried about initially in the in the season, but I think it'll come together as the season uh, goes on.
0: You brought up Frank Reich, and that was a great question. How do you think this team changes because of that? I know he's already said uh, he plans on bringing some stuff from Philadelphia. I remember him talking about him wanting to optimize the way he uses running backs by using a committee of sorts. How do you see
1: this playing out, or at least how do you see it playing differently under Frank Reich? Well, Reich, first of all, I mean, the Colts now have at least a creative, you know, play caller. And that's something that is going to go a long way just within itself. Uh, You're going to see a lot of things from Frank Reich, his aggressiveness to go forward on fourth down, to push the ball down the field. He does, as I mentioned earlier, when we were talking about luck, he wants to get luck in in a rhythm. But after that, after the rhythm is set, man, watch out because Frank Reich wants to win a a football game. You know what I mean? And that's the beauty about him. He's not going to freak out early in the game and try to take the top off immediately. You know, he's not a guy who's going to always try to take these shots downfield. He is going to do what the defense allows him to do. And Andrew Luck even puts that up a notch or two, I think, more. When you look at the entire picture of what Frank Reich brings, he brings you know the aggressiveness and the, and the unique play calling, like I said, and the creati- creativity uh, with this offense is going to be fantastic. I, I'm really excited to see that because he said it, we've noticed it, uh, it, this offense has been extremely vanilla throughout the preseason. They are not showing their hand in any way, shape, or form. When you look at his days back in San Diego, you see, you know, he actually had Brandon Oliver as his top running back in 2014, and then they got Gordon, and that kind of increased a little bit, but still, they didn't have the playmakers after the catch. You know, that's something that he's going to have to do in in drawing up these plays is get some of these young receivers who have yet to prove themselves, get these running backs in space to get some yardage after the catch. That's something that not only, you know, they just, uh, Keenan Allen was a guy, I mean, look at his stats throughout, even not, not just with Frank Reich, but ever since he's been right around a 10, 11, 12 yard per catch guy, his entire career, he's not a big yardage after the catch guy and the Colts can't afford not to be this year that's something that Frank Reich has to learn from his days in Philly versus his days in San Diego uh, I don't think they're going to bring a lot of the RPO with them it will be used but it's not going the offense isn't going to be based around that so it, it's going to be fun to watch Frank Reich kind of you know mold this offense and how he wants to get it done but he's going to have to be really creative early on because quite frankly he just doesn't have the talent at the playmaker position uh, to to get it done just naturally and organically.
0: I think uh, uh, you know if you've listened to any of our uh, for our listeners, you know this is a uh, mainly you know data analytics type of site. And when you say he'll be looking to go for on fourth down, looking to be creative and make smart choices, we're getting butterflies. We we really are. But uh, <laughs> moving moving on to the, the offensive line, one of the positions on this roster with maybe the most turnover in the past year and the most turnover since we've seen Andrew Luck under center. Do you, think, uh, do you think this offensive line will be a liability in terms of protecting Andrew Luck coming back and in terms of enabling a run game? Or do you think the additions they've made will take them to another level?
1: I think, well, I think they're definitely better than what they've been in the past. Uh, they're going to, like I said, when you have a creative uh, play caller like Frank Reich, the offensive line isn't going to be less relied upon they're just going to be relied upon in multiple different looks so one of the things that we need obviously for the Colts to be successful is Anthony Costanzo to be back fully healthy he's been one of the most reliable guys on this team forever now he's been hurt he's expected to come back in week one and that immediately makes an impact for the left side of the line you add him to Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly, who are also kind of that, that mauler-type mentality, and Quentin Nelson's just a killer. You know, uh, I've called him an axe murderer because he is. When you get him in, in space with one guy, that one guy is in trouble. I mean, that's a dark alley you don't want to go down. So that left side of that line really is putting a lockdown for the most part on it. Obviously, Anthony Costanzo has got to come back, not only be healthy but be good, Uh, In the past, he's got some help. He doesn't have to help out at the left guard spot anymore, so that's good. Matt Slauson brings that physicality to the right side of the line as well. So I think four of the five that you've got here from left to right are in pretty good shape. Slauson's not a great guard, but he's physical, and he brings and sets the tone, and that's something that the Colts need. Whether the rookie Braden Smith can step in into time, and, uh, and and fill in for that, because you're going to match, or you're going to have a, a different look at right guard immediately. You don't have the big Mauler type player in Matt Slauson, in the in the you know the grizzled veteran with him. You've got a rookie who's athletic and not built like that. So then you have to change your offense just a little bit to where you're going away from more of a maybe a physical type play call to something that requires a little bit more finesse to where that's when you're going to want to use the screens, you know, and get him out in space cuz he's really good in space blocking. You want to use that to your uh, uh you know, to your um to your to the other team's detriment more or less. This is a scary group when you get past that. Okay. LaRaven Clark has done pretty solid at left tackle. I think that he's proven that he's better than he's been in the past. But at right tackle, there's so many questions at who's going to start. Denzel Good come back. He was expected to, to win that right tackle spot. Now he's injured again. Joe Haig's going to start there tonight. And then Braden Smith's actually going to kick inside and go back to guard versus being at right tackle because they've been using him for a lot of that. How this line actually turns out, Kyle, is going to be quite interesting for everybody to watch, I think. But I think that they have the pieces here to really improve. I think that they're going to protect Luck pretty darn well. If you look back at some of the preseason games in the past uh, few weeks, you've seen that even though Andrew Luck was getting some pressure, majority of that was pressure on outside rushes. A lot of it wasn't through the interior. That's where the Colts have been scared in the past because the interior was so leaky the depth there on the interior is the problem if any of these frontline starters go down you have a guy like Vunovic who started a bunch last season who was just awful and then Deshaun Bond is is a pretty solid backup guy there but really, you're going to be – I mean, Joe Hegg's going to have to kick inside or or Braden Smith's going to have to kick inside. Something's going to have, have to happen for these guys to be able to have that depth to move forward if there's any unforeseen injuries going forward. But initially, with the starters, I think you're going to see a pretty solid group of protection for Andrew Luck, which is good for everybody.
0: All right. With all this being said, we talked about the offensive line. We talked about the weapons this team has. And uh, we talked about Andrew Luck coming back, which is really exciting – How do you see the season ending up, you know, in terms of wins, in terms of maybe playoff run? Realistically, how do you think if everything goes well, this team ends up?
1: Hmm. It's it's really hard to tell because one of the things that I've been saying consistently, and I believe it, is that Andrew Luck makes this team a 500 team right out of the gate. If Andrew Luck's back and healthy, he's good to go. There's no issues or worries or anything like that. And he's not mentally not in the game or something. He makes this team a 500 team off the jump. He can. I mean, you look at his first couple years and all the the fourth quarter comebacks and the late touchdowns. That's something that this team is going to have to uh, understand that this is who they've got throwing the ball and, and calling the plays. The rest of it is is a complete mystery, to be quite honest, Kyle. You look at at Reich. Does he bring enough of that unique game plan and that creativity drawing up the offense? And does you know the defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus? Does he bring enough? Uh, creativity on his end to where they can get another two or three wins out of this season? I don't know. And the defense, you know, may have have to force or may have to get another three or four wins just to get to nine. You know, Andrew Luck may make this team a 500 team, you know, just on vision with him being in the lineup. But Andrew Luck has had those YOLO throws that, you know, are in the worst time of the game. So they've going to have to – it's going to have to be a give and take with all this. This is the, the hard part is finding those other couple wins, to be quite honest with you. With such a young group, can the defense be you know uh, um, enough of a group of playmakers to where they can do that and force turnovers late in games and give the offense an opportunity to kind of either put the game out of reach or take the lead? One of those things has to happen and I think that you have to see it throughout the season little bits and pieces of it in order for it to really kind of generate itself into wins as the season progresses. I want to say I want to say nine and seven uh, or or 10 and six. I think that that's a, a real, solid area right there because they're, they're not going to win 12, 13, 14 games. That's just not, real, you know, realistic. And I don't think that four or five wins is realistic either unless something unforeseen and tragic happens, you know, with a playmaker or, you know, God forbid, Andrew Luck again or anything like that. That's where you get really, you know, in, in the bottom half of that. All
0: right. That can bring us to a close with Matt Dainley. Thanks for coming on. Indianapolis Colts senior writer. You can find him on Twitter at sb. Find his stuff at SB Nation's Stampede Blue. That's at Stampede Blue. And, of course, his Colts podcast at SB Colts Cast. Uh, thanks for coming on. Dropped a ton of knowledge, and I think I'm finally finally getting excited to see the Colts play again after a long year. Thank you, Kyle. All right, have a good one. You too. That was Matt Danley. Special thanks to him. He kept a separate track of the audio and mine was lost. So if I sound better here, that's why. And if you see him on Twitter, give him a follow. Not only a great culture reporter, but just a great guy. Now we'll move into some some analysis of what he said. But before that, I have to tell you about my friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. With just days left in the 2018 fantasy draft season, the FFPC has a format to suit every diehard's interest and budget. Whether it's best ball, super flex, or classic managed leagues, there are dozens of live drafts filling all day long, starting at just a $35 entry fee. Now, are you ready for the greatest challenge? Then check out the FFPC main event. It's in its 11th season. The main event is the world's largest event in season-long fantasy football. Come to Las Vegas for a three-day weekend of live drafts and festivities at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino, or draft online from the comfort of your home. Play for the $250,000 grand prize, over $2.2 million in total prizes, and fantasy immortality. Over 1,400 diehards like you are already signed up. What are you waiting for? Don't miss the FFPC experience. Roto is listeners. Go to myffpc.com now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long fantasy football. The home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. The first position I want to talk about on this team is the running backs because they have three running backs that are being taken in NFL 10s, one of whom is a pretty standard top 100 pick even in redraft leagues, looking at the MFL 10 ADP, Marlon Mack, the 42nd running back off the board, just inside the top 100, Jordan Wilkins down at running back 56, and just behind him at running back 58, Neam Hines. I have to say, after hearing what he said, after hearing that Marlon Mack is maybe not even going to be playing week one, I can't get on board with taking Marlon Mack. As his ADP drops, it becomes more reasonable, but it's just hard to find a path for him to get a lot of carries and if they have Hines on the roster he doesn't seem to be a featured role in the passing game even if they do plan on getting him more catches last year just 15 backs got over 50 percent of their team's carries if you put marlon mack in that category just getting 50 it's still not too pretty for him in years where andrew luck played a majority of the season they averaged 351.5 carries by non-quarterbacks because andrew luck was consistently getting 60 or more carries So if he gets just 50% of that, that's 175.75 carries on the season. That doesn't include the fact that he's a push to miss Week 1, and then he could be slowed down a bit coming back in Weeks 2 and 3. Last year, a third of the top 36 PPR backs did see less than 176 carries, but those running backs had special talents in the receiving field, like Giovanni Bernard getting 43 receptions, Buck Allen getting 46 receptions, and then moving up to the crazy reception guys like Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara, Basically, what this is saying is that if you want your running back to see less than 200, significantly less than 200 carries, he has to be a major receiving threat, and while Marlon Mack can't catch the ball, I don't see that happening, especially with Hines on the roster. That brings us to Jordan Wilkins, who I I don't know if he is their future back, but right now, he could be the starter in Week 1, and his competition is not that fierce with Hines struggling in the preseason, Mack only flashing last year and still being just a second-year fourth-round pick. I like Wilkins where he's going, even if he just gives you Week One production and then doesn't turn out to be much, because as the 56 overall running back, getting one week out of him guaranteed already is is a pretty big boost to his value, and then there's upside beyond that. And Hines, I I don't see making a huge impact early in the season, but for Dynasty, I love him. Looking at Player Profiler, his 438 speed, 98th percentile, even adjusting that for his size, still 86 percentile, plus having a above average burst score. And a slightly below average agility score, really the only thing on his athletic profile not to like is bench press, which is the least predictive of all the athletic metrics we have. Then looking at his college target share, obviously extremely high 89th percentile, but even his college dominator 39th percentile is not bad for a guy of his size. And his college yards per carry, highly efficient 61st percentile at 5.8 yards per carry, best comparable player. C.J. Spiller, not surprising that a smaller guy who can catch the ball compares well to C.J. Spiller, and I want to put that kind of guy next to Andrew Luck. I do think the early season might be rough for him, but his dynasty stash, I think he's great, and I know he's also a guy, because of his his ability on special teams and because of his ability catching the ball, that he really popped in Anthony Miko's running back model, and that's something I can get behind seven days out of the week. I do think Hines will struggle early in the season just to see the field because even though I, I don't see the preseasons being extremely predictive of what a player does efficiency wise, especially something arbitrary or random like fumbles, but I do think that will affect how the coaches see them, And at the end, that is what matters. We always say that you know talent will shine through, but we have to we can't assume rational coaching at all times. And I think that's a, a trap. Especially a lot of the the data type people fall into is that we're so confident in our projections of players and what they're going to do that we assume that coaches will see what we see, but that's not always true. Heinz is a great dynasty stash, but as a redraft play, it might take a while and you might just have a dead roster spot for longer than you're willing to hold on to. Using the Rotoviz MFL 10 ADP app, you can see that looking at the receivers, there's a clear tier break after A.J. Green going to Mike Evans. The ADP difference is over four, which is the biggest gap in ADP between receivers until you get to Amari Cooper and Jarvis Landry down at 16 and 17, So, breaking this tier right can be a great way to find fantasy value, and as I see it, T.Y. Hilton is at 11, just behind Tyreek Hill, Mike Evans, and then A.J. Green in the next tier above him, but I can very much see T.Y. Hilton breaking into that next tier of receivers right behind A.J. Green, beating out guys like Mike Evans, Tyreek Hill, and joining the likes of A.J. Green, Devontae Adams, and his path to doing this is very simple in that, like Matt said, the receivers around him just aren't going to cut it. They haven't really shined in the preseason. Chester Rogers, we know what he is, and that is not very productive, good as the team's third receiver, but even pushing him to second might be a stretch. So looking at the 2016 season for T.Y. Hilton saw him finish as the fifth best PPR receiver. He had a target share of 27.5%, which led to 10 targets per game, and maybe most importantly, nearly 1,900 air yards at a depth of 12.2 a dot. Simply put, he crushed it in terms of volume mainly because there were not other receivers there. Dante Moncrief was injured, I know, shocking. Dante Moncrief was injured, and they really had nothing else to help behind him. And Andrew Luck, one of the most prolific touchdown throwers and quarterbacks right now, was targeting T.Y. Hilton an extreme amount of times per game. When you look at the splits using the Road of His Game Splits app between T.Y. Hilton with and without Dante Moncrief, it's actually pretty surprising how much of a factor Dante Moncrief has been on T.Y. Hilton while they've been playing together. In 50 games with Dante Moncrief, T.Y. Hilton has averaged 13.87 PPR points per game, a very solid number, but without Dante Moncrief in 13 games, 17.5 PPR points per game, and the replacements for Dante Moncrief, like I said before, have been lackluster, even if you consider that Dante Moncrief himself wasn't all that talented, or at least did not produce like he was with the Colts. The replacements for him are even worse, meaning that T.Y. Hilton could even outproduce what he did in 2016. I don't see how he's not a top 10 fantasy wide receiver and he does have top 5 upside. Going right now is the 11th wide receiver. I'm clicking draft every single time I see him there. Moving on to the final player I wanted to talk about, Jack Doyle, who we didn't get to bring up in my conversation with Matt, but I still want to talk about him because he may be their second best receiver. The Jack Doyle equation feels extremely simple for me in that when you look at his ADP right now, going just outside the top 10 tight ends at number 11, despite finishing as the 6th tight end last year, and he finished that on the back of What was one of the largest tight end market shares in terms of targets last year, it was third behind just Delaney Walker and Travis Kelsey, and that puts him ahead of guys like Rob Gronkowski, who didn't play entirely a full season, Zach Ertz, who had the same problem, but also guys like Kyle Rudolph. Just in terms of pure targets, last season, he was one of the premier tight ends, and this season, he gets Andrew Luck. And even if Andrew Luck does tend to favor a guy like T.Y. Hilton more, a guy with a higher depth of target... I don't think that should scare you off of Jack Doyle because the targets will be of better quality because they're coming from Andrew Luck instead of Jacoby Brissett. This could also open up a much larger share of red zone targets, which is where a tight end like Jack Doyle can really gain fantasy value. And then when you look at his efficiency, his loads at the target, he has just a five career A dot. That's Jarvis Landry levels of low. There's no doubt that he is not making crazy plays down the field. We know what Jack Doyle is, but he's also pretty sure handed in that he's converting his air yards. ...into yards at a rate that is greater than one. For every air yard he's thrown, he sees 1.3 yards of actual yardage. He's got an above average racer up until about the depth of 15 yards. And like I said, he's really catching most of his well below 10 at 5. So in terms of his efficiency at what they're asking him to do, he's very good at that. And then you put Andrew Luck behind that, and I don't see how he's not a value there. Last season, he saw 106 targets, caught 79 of them for 683 yards... And obviously the low air yards, 544, just four touchdowns. I think we could see that touchdown number come up and that target number could stay very similar. As a talent, I don't think Jack Doyle is anything special, but when you look at what he's done and what he will be able to do with Andrew Luck, the equation feels pretty simple. By the targets, by the good offense, and by Jack Doyle. Finally, Andrew Luck, what we've all been waiting for. Funny enough, uh, podcast of 11s, Andrew Luck, the 11th quarterback. If you're going to take a quarterback inside the top 12 He is one of the best values by far. We've seen him be even the caliber of Aaron Rodgers throwing 40 touchdowns for 4,761 yards in 2014. Well, that is unreasonable to expect him to do that. He doesn't have to do that to return value. He simply has to crack the top 10, which outside the top 100 overall picks, you can get him after taking 9 or 10 players before him. I don't see how that's not a value, and this leads me to the conclusion of the show, which is stack this passing game and fade the running game. You can get T.Y. Hilton, you can get Andrew Luck, you can get Jack Doyle, all outside the top 10 of their position, and I think there's a good chance they all beat that, and then of course the stack can give you weekly upside if you're really looking to hammer down on that variance, try to find upside on every single week. The passing game stack here I feel is great. In sneaky dynasty leagues, you can stack the passing game, even at the running back position with Ian Himes, but in redraft, I'm just targeting T.Y. Hilton, Jack Doyle, and Andrew Luck. All great values, and players like Andrew Luck and T.Y. Hilton could really crush their ADP and find themselves in the top five of their position. That will bring this episode of the RV32 series to a close. Make sure, if you like what you heard and you like the other podcasts we have on this station, that you find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Rotovis Radio. You can check out Rotovis Live on Sundays if you sub to the Patreon, and as always, if you want your subscription to rotovis.com, go to rotovis.com forward slash podcast for a 30% discount. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the 2018 Team Produce Series. Our assistant executive producer is Colm Kelly, and our executive producer is Matthew Friedman. Please rate and review the Rotovis Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email at rotovisradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at rotovisradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotovis at a 30% discount through the Rotovis Radio homepage, rotovis.com forward slash podcast.